In roller derby, holding space is an empowering, often intimidating act of strength and strategy for oneself and or teammates. Holding Space, the podcast, clears the floor for conversations that touch upon race, class, identity, and privilege to amplify stories, build community, and make more connections in the skate world. Expect lots of smart, dope skate people musing about life on and off eight wheels and silliness. Can't forget the silliness that you never knew you needed and won't be able to live without. This is Holding Space with Magical Realism. Welcome. What's up, fam? So excited to be back in the air, in your earbuds, or wherever you're listening to this show. Thank you for sticking by me while I powered down for a bit and, you know, did what I had to do. But I'm back and excited to bring this conversation recorded last fall in um, September, if I'm not mistaken, late September, I had the chance to sit down with Maine Roller Derby and Team Indigenous co-founder April Jumpy McGee Fournier, who was then a candidate in her local city council race. Uh, and she lives in Portland, Maine, for those who aren't familiar. And she was actually running for the seat known as counselor at large. So, little spoiler alert, Jumpy actually won. So we actually have derby folks in local municipal government. And also as a native woman, a member of the Diné tribe, it's especially meaningful and exciting. I wanted to find out her experience. I was really kind of racking my brain back then and still am to a certain extent about like how to get people motivated to go and vote and to be civically active and to, you know, not let all of the doom and gloom kind of just take them out and, you know, and actually, you know, empower them to become more civically conscious and be aware of the issues just because of how dire things were. And so just to bring a little context, fortunately, now we're in spring 2021 and things, um, there seems to be more and more light on the horizon as people uh, continue to get vaccinated and the positivity rates and what have you are dropping. But back then it was on the cusp of the wildfires, the George Floyd, Armand Arbery, Breonna Taylor, Black Lives Matter protests throughout the summer, the losses, the steep, steep losses to COVID. And so it just felt that November was crucial, was critical, was dire. It was a dire sitch. So that was the kind of backdrop for this conversation. I really appreciate April taking time to speak with me because, you know, even though we were pretty much sheltering in place, people still had things to do. And she was a busy candidate, but she was very generous with her time and really painted a picture about what running for office during a pandemic was like. And so enjoy. How you doing? I'm, you know, I'm, I'm doing all right. (laughs) (laughs) I am actually, I'm, I'm actually really good. And I think one of the interesting things about myself is 
I, I say it's chaos, but I actually kind of thrive on chaos. Not necessarily when things like, like I'll get stressed if things are like super uncontrolled, but I do like to really be busy and I like to have multiple reasons to be busy. So, you know, when Derby was happening, you know, not only did I have main roller derby, but I was, you know, also doing stuff with TI and I was also doing stuff with, you know, WFTDA's, you know, DNI committee. And, you know, so there's lots of different components of things that were happening in addition to like family life and work life. So there's just lots of different components. And now, you know, that roller derby is kind of on an indefinite hiatus uh, because we can't behave ourselves I, you know, had to find a different hobby. I had to find something different to do. I, I've actually always been really interested in politics. So it's not any surprise that I would find something political to do once <laughs> I couldn't do derby for a while. But yeah, I, I've always been really interested in, you know, how the decisions get made for us and why there are the rules that there are, how the cities are structured and how all of those components work. And then just as I've had kids go through public school and had to look at school budgets and understand that process. And then as I've worked in education myself and seen, you know, funding get replaced or removed or, you know, positions eliminated, we keep kind of going back to the same fountains, expecting them to keep feeding us. And when those fountains are dry, we keep going back to them, like with this hope of, well, maybe today there's going to be water. And it's like, well, so this well is dry, my friends. That means we got to find a new well or we got to build a new well. And I think that's just kind of how my brain has worked with watching, you know, politics at a city level, watching it, you know, at a state and national level. We keep kind of going back to these same ideas and these same strategies, even though they haven't worked (laughs) over and over and over again. Um, but I think I got really energized and excited when, you know, we had Deb Holland and Sharice Davids get, you know, elected into office for the House seats. And then it was like, this is so rad. We finally have, you know, Native women in elected office at a national level that can really start creating some change. And then more locally, what I started to see with, you know, we had a mayoral race last year. So we have an elected mayor for Portland and then a city council. But what we saw was there was a mayor prior to the one who got elected that just had this very contentious relationship with council and with the city manager. And so it was just like every day in the newspaper, you know, mayor says this and council does it. And it was just like back and forth and back and forth. And it's so frustrating because when you have those dysfunctional relationships just so significantly, you worry about the stuff getting done that needs to get it done. And then just seeing a new mayor has come in, which has been great. Um, uh, her name is Kate. She's, she's really, really great. And I think will work out really well, but there's still some of these just places that the council gets stuck and doesn't move on. And, you sit and listen to these hours and hours of public comment and just there, you know, the sometimes lack of empathy, all of the council meetings are online. So, you know, it's a zoom wall of counselor faces and, you know, there's been incidences where there's roll, you know, eyes rolling or, you know, like laughing or smirking or, you know, just kind of like the type of, um, you know, looks on counselors' faces as people have taken time out of their life 
to advocate for something or say, you know, don't do this or tell a story that's really, really personal to them. Um, and it's probably just, you know, the, the social services educator human side of me that just says, gosh, that's just so, it's disrespectful because what COVID has given to us is an ability to connect to people who sometimes don't normally have a platform to connect. So with council meetings, and as I've gone around and talked to, you know, people within our community, they usually start at like 530 on like a Monday, and they can go up to midnight sometimes, depending on what is being talked about, but often public comment. So when they have public comment, you can comment on the things. There's like two comment periods, things that are not on the agenda and then things that are on the, there's like one, there's all these rules, which is wild. So people, when, when we were in person, you would have to go to city hall. You'd have to, you know, sit in the chamber and wait for public comment and then wait your turn to talk. But if all of the things that had to be discussed before public comment took up a lot of time, you might be there until 8.30 before it's even your turn to be able to get up and do um, that type of comment. So if you're a worker, if you have kids, if you have school, you know, if you don't have transportation, if, you know, you're dependent on like bus schedules, it just creates so many barriers to not hearing all of the voices of the people in the city that are impacted by a lot of these decisions. So by moving this online and by allowing public comment to happen online, it has opened up the ability for the public to really participate in what's going on in our city, not only um, at a city council level, but also at like a school board level. So, you know, there was a big discussion and ultimate change around removing the school resource officers. So removing police from the high schools. And there was a big push to do that and say, there is no reason that police officers should be in the school with our youth, but allowing this platform, you heard from students, you heard from families, you heard from, you know, parents, people that were so grateful to, yes, they still had to wait the same amount of time they would have had to wait in the council chambers, but they were at home making dinner, getting their kids in bed, you know, doing all the things that they had to do while they were listening and then able to jump in and do public comment, you know, from home. And then when they were done, they were home and still able to, you know, engage in the rest of the stuff they had. So um, in seeing all of that, it really just kind of like fueled me for like, so I think this is something that should happen all the time. And I think that if we want our city to become more inclusive, to allow more voices to participate, we need to change the face of the council. And we need to have people who fundamentally believe in inclusion as part of their, you know, life and their being. And, you know, that <laughs> inclusion is my life. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to do in all, you know, facets of the things that I do. So I was like, yep, yeah, it's going to happen this year. I'm just going to run for city council. Uh, and so here we are like a month and a half away from the election. And it's like, holy boy. <laughs> Can you give us some like quick facts on Portland, like namely population and size of your counselor, your council, 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 your yes. city council. <laughs> yeah, no, great question. Um, so Portland is just under 70,000 people. I think we're hovering between 66 and 67,000. So it is, it's a small big city, I guess is what I, what I would call it. So it's like you take 
Boston and you just shrink it. Um, but we have a ton of restaurants and like really great local businesses. Um, we're a tourist destination for sure because we're right on um, a peninsula. Uh, super popular. We have a port. People come here from all over. Not this year because <laughs> COVID. Um, but then we also have a tremendous, I think it, it made one of the top 10 cities for um, microbreweries too. So we have a ton of microbrews um, around the city, but we, our structure is we actually have um, the council, which has three at large. So they are three people that uh, represent the whole city and then one counselor for each specific district, which there are five districts. Then we have an elected mayor and then we have an appointed city manager and that is a little bit contentious where the city manager then oversees all of the city staff um, because he's basically like the operations manager. How long ago did you embark on this journey? Um, So it was July Um, and so because of COVID normally you can pull they call it pulling papers so getting your nomination papers so normally you can do that a little bit earlier it's usually like early June late May early June and so it was, everything was delayed by like a month and so normally we have um, an election in June and I think it also got pushed to July which they we were able to get uh, ranked choice voting for municipal elections push through, which was so awesome. Uh, and I think it's great. So I pulled my papers in June, late June, early July, somewhere around there. Uh, and initially I was just running for a district seat, um, which is the seat that the current district that I live in district four. And then the more I thought about it, the, one of the retiring counselors, the at-large counselor, um, her name is Jill Susan. She is um, this very wonderful um, Black woman and the only woman of color on council and has been on council for, you know, like 20 years, but has been in public service really her whole life. And so my concern in looking at the field of people who are running was we have a woman of color that's leaving council and there is no woman of color really to replace that seat. And so then I met with the person who was also running with me in District 4. His name is Andrew, uh, and he is a member of the LGBTQ community. Um, He's a small business owner. And so we just started talking about, well, so what are your ideas? What do you, you know, what do you want to do if you were to be elected? And what do I want to do if I would be elected? And so as we had that discussion, we came to the realization, like, we're the same candidate, <laughs> just in different skins, uh, which is just, it's funny because it's like, gosh, you know, why, why are we going to battle against each other for this one seat when we have another, you know, critical representation leaving council? So I made the decision instead to then move to the at-large race. And so that's what I'm doing now. So it was in July. Um, so I had started to collect signatures for District 4, so I had to go get new papers <laughs> and then go collect 300 signatures in the middle of a pandemic to be able to qualify for the ballot. So I'm actually super grateful. It was it was challenging, but you know, through social media, through word of mouth, and through some people that just volunteered to collect signatures because they were so excited about my race, which like 
blew my mind. Like there's people already excited about my race that I don't even know. This is amazing. So, you know, they took the papers, they helped collect signatures for me, and then I qualified for the ballot. So we've been really actively campaigning since probably around July 30th, August 1st. Um, I officially qualified for the ballot. I think it was August 23rd, 26th, right around there. And it has just been full steam ahead. <laughs> what are your duties as a, as a candidate? What do you, what's oh, it like? Paint the picture know, for us. So I think the, the number one thing as a candidate that I've been trying to do is really make connections to community members. That is universally what I've heard from people is that they're so frustrated that they email their counselor, they call their counselor, they you know try and catch them and they just aren't ever able to be heard, which I know that, you know, I have been battling <laughs> to try and get our side of the main street here plowed in the wintertime because it's the same side as the school. So you have kids that are walking up this road. So they passed an ordinance a few years ago to try and save money that they would only plow certain sides of the street for side, you know, for the sidewalks because they just didn't have enough manpower, money, whatever. And I'm not sure how the decision got made for what side of the streets were plowed, but the street that we live on is a, it's a main, a very frequently used street. You can hear, you know, people using it. Uh, it's kind of a way to get from one end of Portland to the other. So it's very, very busy, but that means it also, creates a ton of snow um, in the wintertime. So when the plows come through, it of course dumps all that stuff onto the sidewalk that you then are supposed to shovel or you're going to get fined. So if you don't keep it clear, you're going to get fined. But because we're on such a main road, all of the stuff that gets dumped on our sidewalk is sand and salt and slush and mounds of like ice. So if we don't stay on top of it, we don't have a snowblower because we can't afford one and we have shovels. <laughs> so if we're away for the day because we're at work or if we're not there to keep up with it, it piles up and piles up and eventually just becomes this like frozen mass that we're never going to get through. Um, so I had written, you know, multiple letters to our counselor, emailed, phone called, looped in the city manager, looped in public works, like help me understand how you can't change this plow route to support a road, a sidewalk that kids should be walking on because this is the side of the road that they're walking on to get to school. And, you know, my son who has a disability is dropped off around the corner and then is supposed to walk around the corner to get to our house. If, if the, our neighbor doesn't clear off theirs, he has to walk in the street. So we have to, one, rely on our neighbor to make sure that they get their sidewalk cleared, but then also rely on us getting our sidewalk cleared. So it's it's simple things like that. So it's not any, you know, there are these grand gestures like I want to, you know, impact climate change and I want to impact, you know, social justice, which are absolutely critical. But as a counselor, the, one of the most important things that I can do, even as just a candidate you know, trying to work up to being a counselor is making those people connections and listening to community members and finding out. So you live here, what, what works, you know, and what makes you frustrated and what makes you upset and what, what would you like to see, you know, from the next body that comes in and runs, you know, the city. And so really it's been just trying to 
I have a phone call list. So every day uh, there's a list of people that I call um, just to check in, introduce myself. And it's, you know, different people every day. So it's, you know, newspaper editors and school board members and just like community action leaders and neighborhood association members. So there's just all these different people that I've been able to connect with. Um, it was really neat, actually. It was, was it yesterday? I think it was yesterday. I was able to talk to the vice president of one of the firemen's unions. Um, and we had a terrific, you know, like 30 minute conversation just about their relationship with the city and some of the frustrations that have happened, you know, over the last year, what, you know, what they're really hoping for. And it's all just really cool information to learn. I would never have the opportunity really to learn all of the kind of ins and outs of all of our different community members. So what a really neat opportunity in that sense. But as you talk to all of the different people that work in our uh, work and live uh, in our city, you also start to see the systems that connect everything. And then as you see those different systems that connect everything, you also see where there are breaks in the system or where there are people that are kind of, well, you guys are both doing the same job. Did you know that? (laughs) Did you know that you're duplicating efforts or did you know that this person has, you know, this piece of information that you need, but you guys aren't talking to each other. So how can I help facilitate that contact too? And I think that's something that I have done from, you know, a social services and education perspective, just as part of my career, when I had families coming in to get their IEPs written. Um, Individualized education programs. Yes, thank you. Thank you. I sometimes get so bad about <laughs> the... Oh, uh, no, I know. I work in a non-for-profit, uh, you know, you acronyms are, 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 are double speak. Like, oh, wait, stop. <laughs> let, me, let me do that. But yeah, so when I would write, help write these for families, I would remember, you know, the parents saying that they're looking for some resource or they need in-home supports or whatnot. And then just because I had paid attention to those systemic connections, I could help them find those and help them get those resources. Um, so for me, it's always looking at what's what's the bigger picture and how how can I see all of those connections and so you're make- like the you're like the community social worker or you're like the <laughs> I, that's really truly I think yes yes absolutely you know while you're while you're talking I like I'm picturing you're talking about like snow and reaching out to your neighbors and I'm just like picturing you like hi Laverne it's April what do you need <laughs> like, like- you know and that's it and, and it's so funny because I I really truly enjoy people I think that's just it's just who I am. And that's, you know, something I've gotten, you know, from my parents. That's kind of my life right now. Um, So I have campaign meetings once a week. I'm so incredibly fortunate to have a really strong campaign team. So um, we don't have any campaign, we don't have any formal roles defined because it's, we're a campaign collective. How many are you? Right now we are five people. So there's me and four others. And Uh, how did you go about collecting your your collective. <laughs> um, so, so one of them, um, Joey, is, he actually had run for Portland City Council um, twice and was not able to win the seat. And we just became very good friends. Then as his race was continuing, I had sent him an email and just said, you know, hey, I'd love to grab coffee because I really like what I'm hearing. I just want to know more. And then if there's anything I can do to help. 
And so we did get coffee uh, and the rest is history. We've been, you know, but best buddies ever since. Uh, and then when he ran the second time, you know, didn't win, but I was able to learn so much more about one Portland politics, but also, you know, running and being part of a campaign. And, but it was really neat to see, cause I had only up to that point, cause I went through Emerge, which is a democratic training for women. And they teach you a very specific, like, this is how you run your campaign. This is the campaign roles. These are all the people that should be involved. So it's very structured. Um, and so that was really all I had known of kind of how campaigns work. And then I worked uh, with Joy on his campaign and it was a, just a very different feel. It was like relaxed and fun and like there was no, there was no power dynamic. Like I'm the dictator and you all do my bidding. It was just a more collaborative process of, so I'm thinking about doing this for my palm cards and what do you guys think about that and just sharing ideas. And I really, really appreciated that. I think that's just such a great way, one, for people to learn skills, but also you get so much more out of the people you work with when you're involving them in kind of those decisions. Um, and so, you know, he was definitely the first one I asked, like, all right, I think I'm going to do this. <laughs> Will you help me? And of course, you know, absolutely, I'll help you. And then the next cabinet member, I'll call them cabinet members, uh, is Maria Testa. So she is an author uh, and just incredible activist here in Maine. But we're on the Police Citizen Review Subcommittee together. And just the, the way that she bucks the system and calls out the bullshit I just appreciate so much. Like, I think a lot of us are always very nervous, especially in like a situation like that, where it's like a city committee and you have, you know, police officers in the room and, you know, the uh, corporate council for the city. And you're just kind of like, oh, I don't want to rock the boat too much because, you know, this is just kind of a intimidating sort of situation. Zero fucks. She will tell them what's what. And I, I love that about her. But she's also incredibly balanced as far as like if I have an idea and I'm like, Woo, April has this great idea. Da, 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 and I'm all, you know, sometimes not really thought it all the way through. I'm just so excited. I'm I'm an action-oriented person. So if I have a great idea, I just want to go do it. She's that even balanced campaign mom that says, so I like what you're thinking, but maybe let's take a step back and kind of look at how, how does this intersect with other things before you go running off and, you know, implementing it. So um, does she have prior campaign experience or is she just, um, just she, so she had also helped out with Joy's campaigns too. So we had kind of known each other a little bit from that, but yeah, I, the people that I have helping me are not like, you know, political um, informants are, you know, deep entrenched with lots and lots of years of experience. They just, they're really good at what they do uh, in the different pockets of what they do. And then there is Glenn, who is really like the financial data whiz. So he has helped, he just like came in because he liked, you know, what I was saying and thought we didn't know each other before this. We had a um, mutual connection through uh, DSA, the Democratic Socialists of America. So we, we just kind of peripherally knew each other and he had heard about my campaign, was really excited about it, emailed me early on just to say, I'm really excited about your campaign. I would love you know to work on it whenever you have um, 
volunteers or you're bringing anyone on, you know, let me know. I would absolutely love to be involved. And it was just like, oh, that's awesome. Okay. <laughs> and then, you know, when we got closer to actually like doing all of the things, he's like, great. You know, if you can just give me a couple pieces of information, you know, I'll get some stuff set up. And so he got me like a tax ID number. He went in and like created the, um, like the act blue and the donor box and got all like the, it was like pulling like all of the aggregate data from like the city races and like came like, okay, so here's all the stuff that I have. And it's just like, wow, <laughs> that's amazing. And so just having someone that just, just like, all right, I think we need this. So I'm going to go grab it. And, you know, he's able to do that. And he just, he's really, really great. Um, and then there is Margaret Brownlee, who's my treasurer. Uh, she actually lives in South Portland, not Portland. Um, but she is also an Emerge uh, alum. She ran for council in South Portland. She didn't win her seat, um, but I did help at, towards like the end of her campaign just as uh, really more of a consultant. So, you know, how are things going today? You know, are you organized or you want to pass that type of stuff? So then she agreed to be my treasurer and uh, help out uh, with my campaign, which is great. So um, it's a really fun team. Uh, that's kind of goal number one is this needs to be fun because work and life are hard. So if we add one more hard, stressful thing, that's, it's not cool for any of us. So it needs to be fun. Um, and the way that you make it fun is making sure that, you know, we, we all have really good communication. You know, we all have kind of the same expectations. We're working towards the same goal, <laughs> getting me elected. But again, have that collaborative back and forth dialogue and sharing of information that really, I think, and I hope make everyone feel really valued as part of the campaign team. And so they are so great. They have my back when things are like, like, well, that was a really shitty thing that happened. Uh, I get so much support like, yeah, you're right. That's terrible. It's, you know, <laughs> um, so it's nice to have that type of support too. Like I can explain to my husband, like this thing happened and it made me really upset and, you know, he is unconditionally supportive. So he's always going to be like, yeah, you're right. That's terrible. But he's also not like in this political sphere and, like, I know he gets it, but he doesn't, like, really get it. Like, you know, when you're talking to someone about Derby and you're talking about this really awesome, amazing thing you did and your communication partner doesn't know anything about Derby, but they can just see that you're excited. So they're excited for you because you're excited. So they're, like, nodding and like, yeah. And you're, like, I know you just don't get this as much as I wanted to get it, but thank you for trying. Mm -hmm. um, it was the, it's kind of the same way. Uh, and he, so my husband has been absolutely incredible. So he's the, the unofficial member of the campaign team because he will drive me everywhere that I need to go. Of course, holds down the fort when I need to go out and, you know, someone needs to be here with the kids. Um, talks me up of, he works at the Portland food co-op. So they have lots of people that go through there. Um, and then of course is unconditionally supportive and just, you know, my biggest cheerleader. So, um, so he's the, he's the sixth, the sixth beetle. Yes. <laughs> Do you have any particular like set of issues that are specifically near and dear to your heart or like a policy platform, or is that just unnecessary for this type of race? Um, no, that's a great question. So I do, I have, I would, I would call them issues in the sense that they are 
areas that I definitely want to focus my campaign on and the things that I feel most passionate about, you know, of course, like the whole, the whole city is my scope, but there are areas that I just, I am more interested in and more passionate about. So, um, you know, the environment and climate is huge. Now I can't change the environment and climate, uh, from like a huge perspective, but, I could implement uh, municipal composting so that it removes barriers to everyone being able to participate in, you know, environmental change. So right now we have some composting services, but it's all like a fee for service. So people have to pay to be able to participate in composting, but we know the benefits of, you know, reducing food waste and being able to reuse all of that food in composting and putting it back into gardening and soil um, and, you know, reducing overall the stuff that's in our landfills. So if we can implement a municipal composting program that doesn't create barriers for everyone, because some people really, I think the, the composting is like, it's either 15 a month or 30 a month. But for, for some people that that is a barrier that's like, nope, I, that's the difference between, you know, me getting lunches this week, or that's the difference between me being able to make my car payment. And so they don't participate in those. Um, and helping and saving our environment shouldn't, shouldn't have barriers to it. That should be something everyone can participate in. Um, and then just some of the, you know, education around recycling. It's um, not geared to every you know, community members. So we don't often have things in multiple languages. We often have like these very word heavy, dense documents that talk about recycling and how to recycle, um, or it's all like an online campaign. It's like, well, that's cool. However, if you're not going into communities to help show people how to appropriately recycle, not everyone has internet access. Not everyone can read in English. So, so we're missing a lot of community members when we're not getting in there and making those connections. So that's, um, I think, part of what is so important. And then we actually just had a report issued uh, in a partnership between Portland and South Portland around this climate plan for the next 30 years and the things that we're going to do over the next 30 years. And in reading it, there's just a lot of we hope to and will examine and uh, will consider. And it's like, that's not enough. One of the things I, I had actually shared the article and just talked about is, you know, we in Maine, which is completely on the other side of the country from California have, I haven't, I haven't seen the sun clearly all week. It's been hazy because of the fires that are happening out West and that smoke has made it all the way, you know, 3,000 miles away and is impacting our air and, you know, our ability to see the sun. And hello, <laughs> if that's not a tremendous wake up call and sounding, you know, an alarm for people like we can't wait 30 years to fix this. And 30 years, it's too late. We're done. We're done. You know, I um, read that it's gotten, it, the smoke has gotten all the way to Netherlands. Wow. Which wow. is, that's just, it's, 
it's awful. Yeah. Think about that. And, you know, when I was trying to put it into perspective, um, and that's one of the things our, my campaign team will help me do, like, I'll come up with the, all right, so here's the thing I'm trying to say, and this is how I want to say it, but, you know, help me wordsmith a little bit so I can organize my thoughts a little bit better. Um, but one of the things when we were chatting about the impact of this, it's like my kids are between 12 and 19 right now. So in 30 years, they're going to be in their 40s and it's gonna, it would be too late if we're not acting now. So the things that we can control um, is really looking at these plans that I'm sure millions of dollars are spent um, in developing and creating some actual accountability measures and saying, so instead of this, well, we'd like to, or, you know, uh, we're hoping to, or we're going to consider, it's like, no, you need to create some real concrete goals and timelines and a way for the public to measure your progress um, so that we know in six months, in a year, in two years, if those things are working. Because if they're not, we don't have another five years to try and, you know, mess around and then come back to the drawing board. It needs to be, hey, if this stuff's not working in a year, then we need to try something else. I wanted to talk to you because I learned from you that you were running from office and I've in these last few weeks, I've just kind of been wrapping my mind at work and just personally, like, what can I do? How how can I get people out there and voting? Because this is just literally life or death. Like, it's just, there's so many things. Like I was like, I, I remember going to the supermarket and my lungs burning and like my eyes, like feeling a little weird and it being really hazy. And I'm just thinking to myself, like, the West is on fire. There's a pandemic. I'm in a mask. Like all of my fellow citizens can't walk out the door without a mask. Like there is a recession and, you know, a pan, you know, I've just like, like 2,000, 200,000 people dead in like six months. Like Hmm. we need to vote in November. Like, I just, I don't know what it's going to take for people (laughs) to realize how, how, how urgent it is for us, you know, how, how we need to really reverse course and pivot and do things differently. And it literally is every single one of us casting a ballot in order to be able to all oh, create this, the, the tsunami, the tidal wave that it's going to take in order to, to cleanse us and to start anew and right, to right. like, and to make sure that there's a future tomorrow because right. it's just, it's so much. It's like, it's going to, it's a job for all of us. Like it's, it's really, it really is, you know, you need, I, I just, I see like, I don't know. I, I'm probably not making any sense, but I feel like. No, no, I think, I think uh, that is so, so one of the things I will share and it just, it popped up on my phone and it's going to suck. And I'm so, I'm so sorry to share this. Um, Justice Ginsburg has died. And just like my, oh, I, so it's just, it's so appropriate that we're talking about the life or death of this election because that is, it's unfathomable. Oh, I'm um, stunned. I just, yeah. Um, but from, 
I think but, to your point from but as if we needed another as if we needed another reason you know to yeah. get people out to vote you know one of the one of the things I've been talking about just as part of you know my platform and my initial you know part of my campaigning is reaching out to all of the state representatives that you know are Portland is their district to just talk about the relationship they have with council and you know so I can't as just a city councilor, do a whole lot, you know, for like the national delegation. But what I can do is create relationships between me and the state reps, and then hopefully, you know, be able to create relationships with, um, you know, our national senators and our national congressional leaders and use then that connection to say, our planet is dying and now we are in a really, really shitty place, you know, with the death of, you know, Justice Ginsburg. I just, I can't. So I need to know what you're going to do with your, with your vote. But like, okay, now I'm going to bookmark this. Yeah. Bookmark (laughs) it. My own little sidebar. Back to what you were saying in terms of like proving and, you know, the kind of benchmarks to realize whether or not the composting and the changes that are Mm. implemented are working. All we have to look back at is in March, a few weeks after people had to go shelter in place, how the skies were clearing, how animals were coming out of the woodwork and like celebrating. So it's doable and it's not as painful as people think right right. I it's just a matter of of taking it seriously and and putting and and putting the first and putting the most important goals front and center never losing sight of them which is just survival and the health of humanity rather than profit margins you know um right right well and I think Like if you think about employers and we had this actually really good conversation at my work too, when we were talking about like the coming back and working in the office and, you know, the, the school district that we have um, as one of our public pre-Ks, they're doing the hybrid model. So they have one day where, you know, everybody's off because the school gets cleaned and then you have, you know, one cohort goes two days, the other cohort goes two days so we were talking about for that that off day, that Wednesday, there's still programming, there's still like online class, the kids get like learning packets that go home with them. But we were thinking on, well, on that day, they still need to come in to the classroom and they still need to work from the classroom. And it was, you know, our HR manager, I I didn't say that. I think it's stupid. I think they should work from home. Um, but our HR manager was one of the people who said, so are we telling them to come in and work from the classroom because there is a need for them to have the resources and materials in the classroom or are we telling them just to come into the classroom because we don't want them working from home and I think that is you know to your point of when we were when we had the shelter in place we saw environmental change and for some reason when it you know things started to kind of turn the corner for COVID and we started to see reductions in numbers all many, I won't say all, because a lot of companies are still having people work from home, but many employers said, all right, everyone needs to come back to the office. And it was like, but why, you know, you, you save on, I mean, there, there are countless studies that say, you know, what you save on, but, um, 
if we are all going to do our part, just like, you know, reducing, you know, prescription drug, drug costs and making healthcare affordable and accessible for everybody, um, you need to have the, the biggest players in the game taking that stance and saying, no, your, your employees actually are more productive from home. And guess what? They can also have their kids be home when they're not in school so that that family continues to keep money coming in, they keep the kids safe, and they're not making stupid childcare decisions because they don't have any other choice. And that family continues to thrive, or that individual continues to thrive. It's just there's still not this collective decision to do what we need to do for humanity. It is, it's still driven by this profit and this false sense of, well, people need to be in the office to do work. And it's like, dude, we just proved (laughs) for the last six months. That is a falsehood. So many businesses are still in business because your employees were able to do the work from home. Um, Exactly. No. And um, I was also going to say, I think that it also bringing it back to voting, the role that financing by corporations at the highest levels taint their perspectives and you know color their their decisions and the only way that we're able as a people to counteract that is with our vote i want to like be able to like i want to hammer that home you're gonna hear this message from me a lot (laughs) the importance of voting is really our only power because it's in terms of like competing unless you're like a coke brother or you know a one percenter you're not gonna be able to get them you're not gonna be able to get in a room with them let alone yes listen let them listen to you you know um, and, and unfortunately, the the AOCs and the the those types of folks are the ones who are strictly grassroots are few and far between. For now, hopefully that'll change. Right, um, right. But but yeah, I, oh goodness, I'm I'm still digesting this Ginsburg news. That's, I know, I know. That's so sad. Um, so I think one of the things in what you just said kind of leans into an interesting story is. So in looking for, so just like when we talk about like diversity and inclusion, like it's not just enough to say, yeah, we're inclusive. We, we let everybody participate. You have to like proactively go and seek out the people that are marginalized or not represented to bring them in to help them have that platform. And so one of the things that has been frustrating about this process is when you start to look for endorsements by some of these, you know, national partners that can actually give some visibility and help with fundraising and do, you know, some of the things that they say that they are supposed to do, like in their mission statements um, and in their diversity and inclusion statements. But when rubber hits the road and you are trying to talk about that, they don't always come through, which to me has been, I think, one of the more frustrating aspects to this process. So it's like, how don't they come through? Tell me, like, give an example. Um, so, you know, your race isn't big enough. Um, you are in a race with, you know, a, a Democratic pro-choice man. So we, you know, we can't, our, our rules say that we can't endorse you. Uh, you're too late to the game. Uh, oh, we wish we would have found you sooner. So it's just like, there's, there are these 
arbitrary rules that they have set up for themselves. It's like you guys run your own organization. So you make decisions for whatever you're going to do. And so if you have decided that, no, we're actually not going to help you, you're, you're making that choice to say, we're not actually going to live our values. Uh, and to me, that's incredibly frustrating. Some of the other things that have been a challenge is, you know, working as a political, a relative newcomer, a political newcomer to, you know, this arena, there are absolutely, you know, the old guard, the boys club, those types of things that you have to fight against, um, you know, as, as any type of candidate. But then, you know, if you're a woman and a woman of color, there are additional layers that go into that. And so it's been, you know, I had a sitting senator um, call me uh, to chat and, you know, in not so many words, try and convince me to change my race, to go back to district race. Um, and then... Let me I know. really thought you meant like, like your race race. I was like, <laughs> excuse me. <laughs> Being white. <laughs> Can you imagine? Oh my God. Oh, it would be, yeah, dead on the spot. <laughs> um, but yeah, just like the the talking out of it, just, you know, so, you know, this, this counselor is, you know, really well known. And, you know, if he asked me for my endorsement, I'm probably going to have to endorse him. And it seems like that race would be an easier race. So just the, like, what, like, who, who do you think you are to like, call me, you don't know me, like, we barely know each other. Um, and try and, talk me out of this. And so then when I called him on it, he kind of ducked. That's like, can I just say that that's the kiss of death from a people person to be like, who are you? don't know me. (laughs) How dare you? Like, wait, what? (laughs) But then, you know, in outreaching back, you know, I, but in outreaching back, you know, called him on it and just said, so what I heard from our conversation was this, is that you, you know, a white man who has been in office for a long time is are outreaching without invitation to, you know, an indigenous woman running for office and telling her that she doesn't have what it takes. I have a seat. Her seat and should maybe go for an easier race. Fuck that. Yep. Um, and so, so he never responded <laughs> to, to my invitation to chat. Golly. Um, but there's just, there's a lot of this behind the scenes scurrying and, you know, did you hear this and do you know this and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, when I, when I hear from my, you know, colleagues who are also running for office and we're trying to lift each other up and help each other, that by the way, like is blowing people's minds. Like people are like, well, why are you working? To, why are you helping them? It's like, well, why wouldn't I? I mean, we all kind of have the same vision of things that we want to happen with the city. So if we can share resources and like help each other out, why wouldn't we do that? So we actually have, you know, two candidates for the at-large school board race and one candidate for each of the district school board races. And then one candidate for each of the city council races who are all working together to, you know, like reshare social media and give each other signs and help pass stuff out and, you know, help do all of these things. It's freaking people out. They're just like, why, why are you working together? And so then it's possible. 
Yes. It's just like, we, uh, what? Uh, yeah. So it's just, it's disappointing um, to see elected officials act like that. Um, and we're just going to bring an entirely new way of doing this, um, which I'm super excited about. <laughs> Can I just, okay. So I also want to ask you some things and kind of guide this conversation or make it more make it applicable to our shared constituency the skater the derby skater yeah. community uh, what have you do, do you think that your your experience in derby has helped you or equipped you to run for office a hundred percent there's a reporter here in Portland who did a candidate profile for everybody. And we kicked off my conversation. Um, I was actually at the doctor's office and had just had cortisone injected into my ankle and was going to do the interview and then go back into the doctor's office to get my hip x-rayed. So all of this is, of course, as a result of derby injury. <laughs> and so I was apologizing for being just a little bit late hopping on our call, explaining, you know, what I was doing and that, you know, when we were done, I had to go get an x-ray. So it just kind of dovetailed into this. He's like, so I'm going to try and figure out a way to tie roller derby to politics. And we're going to see if we can get there. I was like, Oh honey, I can get you there. But the, so the funny thing is, and it's that it's just so very similar to that saying, you know, everything I ever needed to know I learned in kindergarten but everything I needed to know, I really learned in Derby, which I think I have always been, you know, a fairly extroverted person. That is just who I am. Uh, and I've always been, you know, interested in advocacy and that type of stuff. But I think I never really found like my strong voice until I joined Derby and learned how to advocate for myself um, on the track and also advocate for others within that same arena. So I don't know what it is about Derby that like turns on that like self-confidence and just like self-assuredness. Like, yeah, I fucking know who I am, you know, bring it. And it might just be that it's that, it's that physical like reinforcement of like, if you are with me on the track and you decide that you want to try and get through my butt it is going to be a sad, sad day for you, my friend. Um, and it's, I think that confidence in a physical sense then carries over into, if you're going to believe that from a physical perspective, then all of those belief, magical beans or whatever you want to call them, like filter into your brain and start to like reinforce your brain. Like, Hey, you got this. You're actually stronger than you think you are. And so then in derby because it's it's diy so not only are you having fun on the track but then you still have to run a league and um, for me i'm one that typically will just volunteer for stuff because i want to see it get done and so i've been the head of marketing and the head of pr and the head of community outreach and um, thankfully not ever the head of hr because nobody wants that job. Um, but, you know, I've been on the board, I've been, you know, at the WFTDA level. So, you know, even the higher um, organizational uh, level, you know, done consulting on DNI, you know, done a lot of work. So all of these different things that I've built within Derby have just been, I think it was that fire from that, I believe in myself, because I, you know, was able to strap eight wheels to my feet 
and somehow do this really intricate dance. And the helmet. And the helmet and not die. (laughs) But so much of that, you know, when we talk about communication within a league, you know, say something challenging comes up and people are in conflict, you need to be able to work through it and you need to be able to like talk to each other or your league's going to fall apart or you're not going to be able to skate with somebody or this fun thing is not going to be fun anymore. And so in working through those communication skills, that absolutely has translated into all of the other facets of my life. So, you know, in my marriage, you know, my husband and I have been together since 99 and, you know, we've been married since 2002. We have four kids. So there has to be something that's working, you know, with (laughs) all of that craziness. But what we've learned is it's really important to be able to communicate clearly. And if there's something that you want, don't assume the other person is just going to know what that is because it's not fair to that other person. And then you may end up being disappointed and then you're both cranky and then things aren't going to work out. So we're, we have worked so hard, you know, throughout the time that we've been together to really be clear about this is what I want or this is what I need. Um, And it's a hard skill because you don't want to hurt somebody's feelings or you don't want to have some of those uncomfortable situations uh, where you're like, Hey, so, you know, when you leave your shoes all around the house, I have to pick them up or the dogs are going to eat them. <laughs> I'm the, I'm the shoe lever. Who um, hasn't had that conversation? <laughs> right. There are two types of people in the world, shoe yes. leavers and shoe picker uppers. I am the shoe lever. My husband is the shoe picker upper. <laughs> but you know, if, if he never says anything, he's just going to get frustrated and keep picking up shoes. Um, and I'm not going to know, and I'm going to keep engaging in that behavior. But when he's able to, you know, speak up and say, hey, so this thing you're doing is really frustrating me. And it's not really a huge deal, but it's enough that it's impacting, you know, my day. So now I'm a better shoe picker ever. <laughs> That's one area. I a reformed have. picker. I'm, I'm a reformed shoe picker upper. I'm, I'm a work in progress. Yeah. So who, so like if someone wants to help do something, doesn't know what, doesn't know where, doesn't know how, what would you suggest? You know, I think that the first thing I would do is if you have someone either that you know or that you really identify with, you're like, yeah, that actually sent. So one, get educated. You know, you have people that are running for school board or town council or a select board. You know, every every city is a little bit different for what's going on. You even have, you know, state races and national races. So there's lots of things that are happening between now and November 3rd that you can get involved with. And you don't have to be a political expert. You don't have to even have ever worked on a campaign before. But if you're willing to just learn a little bit and maybe either talk to the candidate or talk to someone in their campaign, if you're not comfortable talking by phone, they're usually happy to do it by email um, or through chat or even through a Zoom call um, to just say, hey, I have a couple hours this week. I'm just, I don't know anything. Just be honest about what your skills are. I don't know anything about this, but I want to help. They will find something for you to do that is comfortable with what you're comfortable. So I've had a ton of people reach out to volunteer and they usually will say, I'm not comfortable talking to people on the phone. And it's like, cool. 
in your neighborhood, there are 40 places where I would love to put signs. Can I drop 15 signs to you on Monday, you know, September 22nd, and you're in charge of putting those signs out and then just make sure I know where they are so that when the election is over, I can go pick them up. And people are psyched to do that because they just feel like they're contributing and they are. I don't have time to go out and do all of that. But it's another connection point for me as a candidate and another connection point for that community member as a volunteer. You know, candidates absolutely need someone. Text banking is huge now. So you can text people to, you know, say, hey, don't forget to vote. And you can do that. There are so many different organizations that are trying to do that just from a get out the vote perspective. But also for candidates, just to remind people to register, what day it's on, do you have a plan? Um, you know, can I count on your vote? Can you talk to five friends? So there's lots of different things um, that people can do that are, you know, electronic or not direct people facing. Um, we are also in a pandemic. So it's absolutely one of the disclaimers I actually have on my um, campaign website is we're using entirely safe COVID practices. We're committed to doing that as a campaign. So we are following whatever the current CDC guidelines are to make sure that we're um, campaigning in a responsible and safe way. Um, so also, whoever you're volunteering with, make sure that they, they have that same commitment because the only way that we're going to really, really win, not only the election in November, but like and not wiping out the human population is making sure that we're all doing our part. We're masking up, we're, you know, physically distancing, we're following, you know, all of the sanitization um, practices. So that is a critical component too, but just, yeah, learn. And if you, if you're not sure and you're listening to this right now and you're like jumpy or April, however you know me, (laughs) Uh, if you just need some advice on, feel free to find me on either Insta or Facebook or wherever. Um, and I am happy to have a chat with you and point you in a direction of something that you're passionate about and you can get involved in. Yay. Thank you. And so how can people help you? Oh, um, if you're in Maine and in Portland, you can vote for me, which would be great. Um, but also, you know, the, the funny thing about social media is it's all about algorithms. So if you see my posts, if you can like it and reshare, whether it's on Twitter or Insta or Facebook, that's huge. Um, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I'll give you the handles in a second, but the algorithms work in a way that the more people that see it or like it or share it the less expensive it is for us to have to spend any money on boosting it. Um, So on Facebook, it's April for Portland, or if you just type in Facebook's backslash April Fournier 207, you'll find me. And then on Insta, it's at April for Portland for F-O-R is spelled out. So catchy. I know, right? (laughs) And then uh, on Twitter, it's at... Portland FOR. And then my our hashtags are brilliant. I did not come up with them, but I am grateful to my team that did. So it's hashtag April for Portland FOR spelled out. So it's kind of trends. But then my favorite hashtag my favorite one is hashtag counselor AF. Yes. 
because my initials are AF, but it's got a double meaning. I love it. I was also, can I also contribute one? It's a little Absolutely. lengthy, but yes. I, I would love to see April jumps for Portland. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's going up. It's going Do up you like a hybrid, you know, of your derby and your name. <laughs> Yes. I love it. I love it. Um, yeah. It's funny when I'm out in public, I always know what walk of life uh, <laughs> people are recognizing me from. Cause they'll be like, jumpy. It's like, Hey, uh, yeah, it's, it's a right. Do people um, even other, like have like a question mark on your, on their faces when people call you jumpy? And yes. They're just, oh, absolutely. They're just like, what? And so then I explain and they're like, Oh, okay. okay I love I it. it. Um, but yeah, so the other thing is so we're not taking like any big corporate pack donations or anything like that. We're really trying to just to be to be people powered. Um, and it it sucks and it feels gross to even be raising money right now. We're in the middle of a pandemic and the money should really be going back into communities that need it. Um, so if you have the ability to give, and even if it's just five bucks, that's really that helps us buy signs. It helps us buy ads. Um, I'm, I would normally not even be raising money. I really wanted to do this without raising any money at all. But if I want to win my seat, there's just a certain level of visibility and connection that I have to have um, to beat the incumbent and um, some of the things that he's doing. So um, every, every little bit helps. Uh, and then just, you know, nice, nice messages <laughs> to say, you're doing great, or I like what you're saying. Uh, that can actually just totally turn around like an afternoon if it's like, ah, oh, today is just a day. And then you read something just like that, like, oh, I'm so glad. And I'm, you know, excited to vote for you or excited to support you. And, um, it's just like, oh yeah. Okay. I'm doing a good thing. <laughs> Yay. Great. And okay, as is tradition here at Holding Space and Magical Wheelism, you being no stranger, what is your self-care tip? I, I am obsessed with bath bombs. I don't remember if I said that last time, um, but that's my thing right now uh, is carving and scheduling time for whatever activity is just going to make your heart sing and your like whole being calm down. So for me right now, my calendar is crazy because I'm trying to make constituent calls. I'm trying to, you know, have meetings with community leaders. I'm working, um, you know, the kids have stuff. And then, um, you know, I have school. I only have one class a semester, thankfully, um, in my doctorate program, but it's just, you need to be able to like schedule that self-care time or sometimes it just doesn't happen. So I am notorious for not letting it happen because I'm doing so much other stuff. So I, I schedule in like a tubby to make sure I do it. And then I order a special bath bomb from Lush. Uh, there's one that will be here tomorrow. So tomorrow is tubby time. So excited. I love that you're tracking your Lush bombs. <laughs> like, when's it going to get here? Uh, uh, it's a special Halloween one, which I was really excited about. It's like patchouli and um, like those deep meditative kind of go into the fall and that introspective time. You know, um, you're giving me an idea. I might need to start asking people, what package are you looking forward to? Or like, what, <laughs> what, what mail package are you currently tracking? That would I'm, be so good. I'm tracking a Venus flytrap. Oh my God. 
<laughs> I mean, yeah. It's, a carnivorous plant. <laughs> yeah, that's what that's what life is right now. It's like, oh, what's the next thing that I'm waiting for? Because, you know, we would plan, be planning to go out with friends or go, you know, do all these different things. And it's like, we can sort of do those things, but not in the same way. It doesn't, I think, feed our soul the way that it has in the past. So, yeah. Totally. Tubby time with my lush bath bomb. Yeah. And then what are you holding space for? Oh, RBG. That is just, that is such a blow. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I think in the coming days, it's going to be so important for us to really lift each other up because I think this is going to be like one of like, not only like fuck 2020. Right. So I think this is just going to be one more incredibly impactful thing that people are going to mourn. Um, And I think that's going to be hard and take people, unfortunately, to, you know, some dark places. And so, you know, I think we need to remember that it, it's going to take all of us to get out of this. Um, And it's not just uh, doing our part from a COVID perspective. It is, you know, elevating those voices that are running for city council, that are running for school board, that, you know, I might be running for city council now, but in five years I might be running for U.S. Senate or hell, I might even be running for the, you know, secretary of the Department of Education for the United States because if someone that doesn't have a fucking education degree can do it, I can do it. (laughs) Um, But it's... I think it's just, it's making sure that we are, we're taking care of each other. We're remembering that there, there is light, but we have, we have to work for it. And it's not fair and it sucks that we have to work for it as hard as we have to work for it this year. But if we're, if we're working for it together, we're more likely to find it. And last but not least, who is your MVP? Oh, uh, my campaign team. They Mm. are just, they are they're rock stars. Um, there have been things where I'm just like, Oh, I need to check on this detail. And then I go to check on it and it's like already done. And I just, I cannot express enough gratitude for them. We, like I mentioned, we have campaign meetings like once a week. So, um, it's on Tuesdays. Uh, and now that it's a little bit cooler out, uh, we're meeting on, um, Uh, Maria's deck so outside so that we're all physically distanced but we can see each other it's not through zoom uh, which is so refreshing but we get yummy food and just you know have the opportunity to kind of report out where things are at but they've just thought of so much and they're just so generous in giving of their time like they are giving up parts of their lives to help me get into office and that just that blows my mind that people believe in me that much to be able to do something, you know, so giving like that. So I, I want to, they're my MVPs a hundred percent. Takes a village, takes a village to 
to run a campaign. For real. <laughs> For real. That's awesome. Well, thank you, Jumpy. Thank you as always. And I'm here cheering you Yay! from afar, my, waving you. my pom-poms for April Fournier, the candidate that I, I'm ready to endorse you. <laughs> and the, you have the holding space of nationalism <laughs> endorsement, the yes. first ever public endorsement Woo! in a campaign. I usually like to, you know, I no, I, I, I've never been apolitical in my life or neutral. <laughs> I, you know, I don't know what kind of listenership I have in Portland, Maine. My might be just one, <laughs> but hopefully not. No, I think I have some Mainers in I think a listener you pool. So, yeah, you know, get out there, Maine. What are you waiting for? Like, Yeah, we're, we're going to do it. <laughs>